Welcome to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We give voice to those who challenge a prevailing sentiment in global financial markets. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Guests were not compensated for their appearance, nor do they supply payment in order to appear. Individuals on this podcast may hold positions in the securities that are discussed. Listeners are urged to educate themselves and make their own decisions. This podcast episode may have ads and the occasional announcement. To listen without ads or announcements and take advantage of a host of other benefits, consider becoming a premium subscriber. Visit the website contrarian.supercast.tech. That's T-E-C-H for more information. Now, here's your host, Mr. Nathaniel E. Baker. I'm here with Tom Carney the co-head of Fixed Income Investments at White's Investments. Tom, where is White's located? Omaha, Nebraska. Nathaniel. Omaha, Nebraska. And, and it's a pleasure to, to join you today. All right. So maybe you're the second most investor in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, I think I'm quite a bit further down the list, but we certainly <laughs> swim in some pretty impressive uh, investment waters here in Omaha. Yeah, I want to ask you about that later on. But actually, the reason that I have you on the on the show is because of bonds. And the bond market has gotten beaten up. Maybe top-down view first on the bond market. I mean, to preface this, I was looking for somebody who was a bull on treasuries and bonds after all the selling, just because there had been so much doom and gloom. I'm not sure if you quite fall on that camp, but yeah, let, let's start with your, your view on the bond market. I'd say, first off, when it comes to macro views, we're not uh, the, the, the first call somebody's going to make to us. Yeah, our our job is to really like take the temperature of the marketplace to kind of use again Omaha wisdom from Warren Buffett is our job is to be greedy when other people are fearful and fearful when they're greedy. That's not as easily applied in the fixed income marketplace, but it it, it rhymes in many ways. So our view broadly on the fixed income market is in some ways a relief. We've spent 10 plus years in la-la land when it comes to the interest rate policy of the Fed, uh, hopefully forever only formally called ZERP, the zero interest rate policy. So quite thankful to have entered some area of almost normalcy where the Fed has reacted arguably late to surging inflation from the, the massive monetary and fiscal stimulus that was injected into the economy, certainly over the past 10 years, but went on steroids in 2020, so that today we sit in an environment, you pick what you think is the right inflation measure, but we finally have flipped from having many years of negative real interest rate returns for investors to having reasonably positive, even from a longer term perspective, so that you could deploy capital on behalf of yourselves and your investors and earn a very solid real return, and not just over the last 10 years, but over time, these, these are interesting uh, levels, unless, unless you think inflation is going to really spike up again, that you can deploy capital today uh, at, a, at a very solid real return. And so in that sense, we're very encouraged by the where we sit today with the whole yield curve, inverted or not, we see opportunities to deploy capital for investors that can generate real return for investors and ultimately 
when it comes to fixed income investing, it isn't about trying to double your capital like you can in the equity market. It's about investing money for a certain period of time and getting it back to redeploy and having it not confiscate those income payments through inflation that would eat it away. So it's a, it's a, it's a much improved environment that we, we see today than we would have three years ago, two years ago. And so in that sense, we're, we're very encouraged by what we see in the, the fixed income marketplace. Okay. That's kind of contrarian and also interesting. It sounds like you're quite constructive then on the bond market. Well, it depends on where. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Uh, yeah, it depends on where. We think broadly, credit is, well, historically tight. It's at a very low level. And so that there's not much room for error and not much historical precedent for credit spreads to decline dramatically further. And we sit today in a, in a, in a cycle uh, in economic cycle that seems pretty long in the tooth, so to speak. And so uh, we we are not big fans of long credit. Uh, so we we tend presently, you, you could describe us as a, a barbell sort of investor, where we do think duration is appropriate uh, at, at certain spots, not necessarily index level appropriate, but close today. So we do that having a barbell approach of having Pretty heavy treasury exposure on the longer side, 10 plus years. But we have found dramatically interesting opportunities through the non-corporate bond market, primarily through the asset-backed securities market, specifically, that has allowed us much more spread than we can get with what we think is a comparable corporate bond. Um, and because of the short duration nature of these investments, it, it really helps us create a portfolio that meaningfully out coupons. Ultimately, fixed income investors' long-term returns come from the coupon, not just capital gain, which has been very fortunate for a, since probably 1982. But uh, but coupon returns that beat the index, beat competitors, and we think at the end of the day, if we can create a portfolio of very high quality cash flows that exceed benchmark alternatives or other. Um, in the market alternatives that in the, in the long run, we win. Mm. Where in the asset-backed securities market are you, are you finding opportunities? Quite a number of different places. So in that world, we've we've been interested in, in auto lending, in equipment lending, even consumer lending. But within that area, it's it's a massive marketplace that these are Non sometimes non-public issued securities, but by issued by companies that have been around for decades. Whether it's auto lending, equipment lending, uh, and, and maybe less so in consumer, but we have the ability to spend a lot of times with these what we call sponsors that we would potentially partner with, lend money to, get a sense of their business model, their liquidity run runway, so that certainly we want them to be around while the investments we hold. And then the specific securities we can invest in give us quite a plethora of choices. We tend to sit kind of near the top of the water, so to speak, because in asset-backed securities, these can be carved up from, so investors can choose. I want to have the, be protected the most from potential loss to maybe like the issuers themselves, they take the very bottom part because they're the equity owners 
in this pool of assets, these pool of loans. And so we we typically have been, we, we don't subscribe much to ratings per se, but we certainly subscribe to credit enhancement. So what 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 sort of protection do we have both in the documents and in the structure itself that makes that enhances our ability to get our money back? Because we kind of try to live by two rules in, in fixed income investing. One is don't lose money. And the second one is don't forget that first rule. And there's there's so many ways in the asset-backed securities market to invest what we think of at the top of the capital structure, meaningfully better returns than we can get in the corporate bond market and a, a pool of loans that we get to monitor on a, on a monthly basis, not quarterly like we can with our corporate bond investments, but every month we get a peer under the hood, if you will, to see how is this pool of auto loans performing, whether it's a, an equipment uh, pool of loans or even consumer loans, not a, not a pool of loans that changes, it's static. So it, we we snap the line. And so we know at, at the at the issuance of these bonds, what what are the borrowers? What do the if it's a consumer loan? What is the FICO base? What is the concentration if it's an equipment um, or auto? Where are the states at? And then every month we get to monitor the progress of this pool of loans, delinquencies, certainly defaults, recovery,s and it's it's really been a, a growing area of opportunity for us. And one reason we also like it, and probably is leads to why the returns are. Better is it's not well represented in the ag in the indexes. So if if you're an investor that spends your time investing in just index eligible sort of investments, ETFs, etc., the ag essentially would have very little exposure to a lot of the investments that we make in this area. Yeah. Now these are clearly not things for retail investors. I'm assuming you need to have relationships oh, with the sell side. Very good point. Yeah, it would be right. hard to access these on your own. Mm-hmm. One one area maybe retail could, although it still would be difficult. It isn't as though these um, never trade. Like corporate bonds, there's a new issue, primary market, same with ABS. Is with corporates, there's a very vibrant secondary market place, ABS as well. It's just uh, maybe less visible to the, the layman. For, for lack of a better term. But interestingly, you're saying that you don't see all that much in terms of defaults. Is that right on the consumer side? Correct. No, there's there's certainly been, for example, in auto lending. Yeah. And for example, we we have partnerships with a number of what would people would call subprime lenders that have certainly experienced stress. That, that segment of the economy broadly, uh, those consumers have people would say they're they're always in recession. It's like always a rolling recession, but clear in terms of the, um, the, the cars to get to work, very important to them. Uh, but, but certainly in the past two years with inflation rising so much, those, those consumers have been particularly impacted. So we've seen, certainly we've seen a rise in delinquencies and defaults and been helped because Recoveries have been quite strong, as anyone who's potentially followed the used used car auto market, where prices had really gone kind of almost backwards. You think you drive a car off the lot and the value goes down, and in some cases it doesn't uh, because of just scarcity. But nevertheless, we have seen some spikes, but not any above 
what we had kind of thought going in. When we underwrite an issue to begin with, we kind of think about what is potentially the base case, uh, a, a best case and a worst case scenario. And in no instance have we entered into any worst case scenario. Um, and again, keep in mind, we're really trying to focus at the higher part of the capital structure where losses are invariably minimized. And because it's a static pool, every month that the, the, the whole structure, the securitization shrinks from prepayments, maybe defaults, the enhancement for the investors at the farthest, further up the capital structure gets bigger and fatter so that as time progresses, the the chances for those senior securities to experience a loss goes down. Mm-hmm. And that's that continues to be the case for us in um we I can't uh, think of an instance where we haven't had that credit enhancement expand even as there's been some uptick in defaults and delinquencies. Right. Sick of me yet? Become a premium subscriber and avoid all ads or interruptions. Other benefits as well. Visit contrarian supercast.tech for more information. Are you also tired of one-size-fits-all weight loss plans? Meet Noom, the personalized solution that meets you where you are. Noom is able to understand your unique needs, from dietary restrictions to medical concerns. Unlike restrictive programs, Noom embraces your lifestyle and choices. Discover a sustainable approach to weight loss, tailored just for you. Honestly, Noom felt like it was made for me. It's not just about what I eat. It's about understanding why. With Noom, I've learned so much about myself and built healthier habits that stick. It's all about progress, not perfection. Say goodbye to restrictive diets and experience the Noom app for yourself with personalized lessons and expert coaching. Noom's psychology and biology-based approach has helped over 5.2 million people achieve their goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. One thing you didn't mention, maybe this is included in consumer, but mortgages? Yes. Well, I didn't. That's a different area for us. It hasn't been until 2023 an area we found much value in mortgages broadly uh mm-hmm. especially in for example our our largest fixed income fund which is our core plus income fund why uh of a, a variety of reasons but i'll give you two mm-hmm. interest rates were terribly low and the fed was aggressively buying them they certainly have been buying them since the great financial crisis but even more so since 2020 so you had a major buyer com- you're competing against major buyers i i should give you three regional banks, uh-huh. that there was big buy interest uh, and low rates. And so we didn't see a lot of value in an instrument that had extremely large negative convexity. And for just layman's term, a convexity really uh, represents uh, an option, if you will, on that particular security, that if rates go up, that bond becomes longer. It, it, there's not, it may have a fixed maturity if it's a mortgage, like 30 years, but people don't ever typically hold their loan for 30 years. But with the option to do so, if rates go up, 
somebody says, well, I'm not, I've got a two and a half mortgage. I'm not moving out of my house. So all of a sudden investors view that security as maybe originally a five, eight year bond. Now it's 10 or more. <clears throat> and conversely, if rates go down, <clears throat> then that bond that you thought was a five year could be one because people refi and prepay their mortgage, <clears throat> just as a loose example. But when when rates were in the two, 3% range, we didn't think there was much room for them to go a whole lot lower. And plus with those com competitors, the Fed, banks, et cetera, we, we didn't see a lot of value. Hmm. That changed. Uh, that changed dramatically in um, with the Silicon Valley. Yeah. And it had been moving that way because the Fed had begun quantitative tightening and trying to shrink their balance sheet so that it had the, those securities had to find a new home. And we began to see pretty good value in, in mortgage-backed securities, specifically agency mortgage-backed securities, which are second only, we would argue, to treasuries in terms of their um, the least peace of mind in terms of getting your money back. Not, I mean, clearly, we as a country, we've we've kind of um, uh, leveraged our future given how much debt we have as a nation. Yeah. But nevertheless, uh, most companies don't have a printing press like the like the U.S. does. Mm -hmm. But mortgages really have. For the first time, maybe ever, the, the ability to earn returns just nominally that exceeded uh, investment grade corporate bonds happened in 23. Okay. And so we spent a fair uh, bit of time and capital deploying into an area that we like. We like the return profile nominally because it um, certainly provides some real return and sure that, that we understand the convexity aspect of it that I mentioned. It could become a longer bond. But from here, we think the chances of it becoming a, a similar experience as when mortgages were at two is not the same order of magnitude, we don't think. Sure, they could become shorter, but we're fine with that because we have, as I mentioned, a, a very good barbell approach of having treasuries on one end, uh, 10 plus years, and more ABS, shorter securities on, on the other side. But the mortgage is almost kind of sit in the middle uh, of sorts in terms, but we think... Um, we're, we're very, uh, very, um, very interested more so in mortgage-backed securities, even even non-agency mortgage-backed really? securities, uh. which add, add return. And so much has changed <clears throat> post the great financial crisis in terms of underwriting rep, reps and warranties for investors so that, uh, and, and credit enhancement. People really got burned in... 07, 08, because of really poor underwriting and not enough demands by us as investors for credit protection in terms of how the structure works. Hmm. That change has changed dramatically. At, at, at least evenly split between the issuers now and the investors, if not leaning toward the investors having the upper hand in terms of the amount of credit enhancement for non-agency mortgage-backed security. So we, we like them both. Because if we like agency securities and we like the credit quality of non-agency, as I and mentioned how the nominal return in agency mortgage-backed securities is, is solid relative to high-grade corporate bonds, then you're getting paid even more to own non-agencies. So if we do the underwriting right, partner with the right sponsors, we think we're getting, um, again, back to if we can out-coupon the competition, we'll win. Yeah. And there, too, no no concerns about defaults. Almost Almost 
not zero, but very low credit enhanced. Uh-huh. For example, back in 07, 08, loans were distributed to people with hardly any um, skin in the game. In Ninja. terms, you could you could take a loan out with uh, loan to value income, that no job, no approach assets, 90 yeah. plus percent. Today, non-agency, underwriting is even harder today than it was at the beginning of the year just because of the the Fed, certainly some of the bank problems. And in in many cases, some of the investments on the non-agency mortgage-backed securities environment, they tend to be to borrowers who really don't need a mortgage. Many of them have the assets to pay off it in cash if they would want to. But nevertheless, the loan-to-values are in the 70% range and absent dramatic home price depreciation. There's a lot of equity there, not only equity in the homes, but the ability to pay by these borrowers, um, which tend to be large loans. That's why they're non-agency loans. Um, and with with solid asset base was very, yeah. yeah, there's been minimal, minimal defaults at all. Unlike, yeah. for example, we mentioned that auto borrowers, some of the subprime are really experiencing a recession and maybe they're always in some version of such, but the non-agency mortgage, back world tends to be the upper income individuals, again, assets, income, and the amount of uh, loan to value is a great protection to investors. Yeah. What about on the treasury side of things? What kind of, you said 10 year plus usually is what, where you go? Yeah. You don't, you don't like the short end of the curve? Oh, the short end is is great too, but that, and that helped, let me answer it backwards. Uh, the short end of the curve is phenomenal because it allows us within the asset backed securities market to layer in investments that have over and above treasury returns that we like absolutely. The inverted curve helps dramatically our investments there that come back to us pretty, um, return the money to us pretty frequently uh, on the long end. So in that sense, we label that like 10 to only very recently 30. We really like the 20 year part of the curve because of it was there was a bend in the curve. So we were concentrating our longer treasury investments in that 20 year range. But very recently when the 30 year exceeded five, we deployed capital there as well. And again, this mm-hmm. is for our core plus fund uh, specifically because we, mm-hmm. we also manage a short duration income fund, which all of the comments I made about short asset backed securities fully apply. But again, back to treasuries, we view that as a great ballast, if you will, a great insurance policy uh, against uh, bumps in the night uh, that clearly, I know you had someone on your podcast very recently, and you alluded to something about the the Fed trying to break something. Well, clearly we saw um, the earth shake earlier this year, and then it's been pretty surprisingly calm. Uh, And so- we like the the ability to have risk off assets, and despite the U.S.'s problems, there's no better risk off asset than U.S. Treasuries. Yeah. So we view that as as really a, a great insurance um, item. But then too, because um, we've done it meaningful multiple times in the past, it, it is like buying power in waiting. Because if you get risk off in a meaningful way, if we if we get a true recession that causes problems in the corporate bond 
or in the economy broadly, credit spreads won't be where they're at today. And we have, for example, in the teeth of the lockdowns of 2020, we moved a thousand points of capital from our treasury position to very attractive corporate bond positions. Again, getting back to trying to be greedy when others are fearful. Mm. And we're not in that environment today, right? but we stand ready to, and would be excited to take advantage of that if and when that, not, not if, when. It's just timing is always the question mark. Yeah. Now, the one wild card, of course, is the Fed and higher interest rates, and that would further hurt, uh, especially the short end of the curve, and I'm assuming other bond investments as well. How big of a concern is that? It should be a concern. Mm -hmm. I, I think, though, where we're at today, at north of five, the, the thing that's really, I think, helpful to keep in mind is the math of the problem or the, the pain that you might experience is multiples less than it was when the Fed was at the front end of the curve was at two mm. and certainly zero. Yeah. So today you could take at least 200 basis points of pain. Certainly depends on what part of the capital structure and the duration of the investment. But let's just, let's just use a, it's not a 10 year bond might have a, have a, a duration of, I don't even know if it, it would be, let's just for, for the sake of argument, 10 year treasury, because coupons now where they're at, maybe it's a seven year duration. You could have rates go up a hundred percent. Granted, if we got shocked by that, you might be down 2% or 2% on day one, but you'd recover that coupon over the rest of the year. So there's a lot that has to happen before that coupon income is a, uh, begins to hurt you. So that's one of the great benefits today, we think, and why we wouldn't say excited, but we we like the opportunity to deploy capital in this much improved rate environment so that um, r rate shocks impact us less. Mm -hmm. And we Very think, yeah. we think, we think, granted, we're not macro uh, investors, but we think the Fed is, if they're not in the seventh, they're at least in the seventh inning stretch mm -hmm. on the, uh, rate hikes mm -hmm. absent some shock now that we had we had a shock this past weekend sadly it's a mm -hmm. terrible um shock for the world but that that clearly could have implications could it be 1973 for example oil embargo then we'd have to recalibrate uh, clearly um but and, and that's a risk for sure mm -hmm. uh as to what are the next moves uh, that might happen in the region, in the world, uh, to commodity prices broadly. So that, yeah, everything's what, it's kind of like the, I don't know if it was uh, Truman, President Truman once talked about, he was hopeful to get a, find a one-armed economist yeah. because there's always on the other hand. Uh, and that's kind of what I'm suggesting here too. I, I think I've heard that attributed to Harry Truman, but also others, but it's a, it's a yeah. great joke. Economists hate that joke. Yeah. But, but, <laughs> Probably because there's a lot of truth to it. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, wonderful. Tom Carney here of White's Investments. Uh, Tom, I want to take a quick break and come back and ask you some more questions, ask you about your background, as we tend to do in the second half of the podcast. But first, take a quick break and give our sponsors a chance to be heard. If you are a premium subscriber 
You're not going to get a break. So don't go anywhere. Don't touch the dial. We'll be right back. In fact, we already are. And everybody else to become a premium subscriber, visit the website contrarianpod.substack.com and sign up. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Contrarian Investor Podcast, where we give voice to those who challenge a prevailing narrative in global financial markets. Consider becoming a premium subscriber. For $9 a month or less, premium subscribers receive a number of benefits. Podcasts are posted immediately after they're recorded. Transcripts are made available within 24 hours. Premium subscribers get direct access to the host. And of course, there are no ads or interruptions. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information. By the way, you don't need the .tech suffix to get to that website. .com will do the trick. And we also have a Substack that you can where you can sign up for the same prices, same benefits, same details, contrarianpod.substack.com. So if you already have a Substack account and use it or have the app and use that, that's probably the best way to go. So contrarian.supercast.com or contrarianpod.substack.com, whole bunch of benefits including, of course, getting this episode up to a week early without ads or annoying announcements. And you also get the Daily Contrarian briefing and podcast that is released every market day morning at 7 a.m. This is a contrarian take on the events of the day ahead and what is likely to move markets, such as economic data releases, earnings, and other things. It is really good, and that is completely unbiased, of course. So check that out, contrarianpod.substack.com or contrarian.supercast.tech. Now on with the show. Welcome back, everybody. Here with Tom Carney out in Omaha, Nebraska, home, of course, of a certain Warren Buffett, uh, Tom Carney of White's Investments. Tom, this is the uh, second half of the show where we like to ask our guests to tell us a little bit more about themselves and how they got to be to this station in their career and importantly how they came to investing in the first place so curious about all that uh, have you always been in Omaha but but yeah tell us as much as you'd like about that yeah essentially it, all, always in Omaha um, mm. my entry into the industry is an interesting one kind of like the founder of Bear Stearns that I started in the mailroom mm. at an investment firm that was very well known in the Midwest. That was a municipal bond powerhouse underwriting firm. And over many years, I came to work clearly different jobs, but ended at the municipal trading desk or underwriting desk, which again, that was what they were most known for. The firm was Childs Hyder and Company. Anyone listening in the Nebraska region would, would know that quite well. So I really got to understand a little bit about the fixed income market at that time, primarily municipal bonds. My role mostly was in sales to brokers. That's kind of loosely termed, but that I was trying to help enhance uh, them to take our inventory from that and sell it to their clients. <clears throat> but I certainly got a, a good entry into the fixed income marketplace that way. The founder of White's, Wally White's, happened to be there as well. He left in 1983 to start 
his investment firm, because now we're 40 years old this year at White's. And I continued to work there, but certainly acquainted with Wally and was fortunate to receive a call in 1995 to come work here at White's as what would have been at the time, probably key role was an equity trader. Although that's not what Wally, we, we never traded anything. Our, our job was to facilitate investment decisions. So I got a great opportunity to, to really sit at the foot of another master, an equity master in Wally White's in terms of how he thinks about investing. Clearly, most of it was concentrated on the equity side because his goal and still is, is to compound our investors' net worth through ownership. But at the same time, he did also uh, have portfolios of fixed income, primarily tax-free, I knew tax-free income. Uh, securities. And it wasn't long before I started helping to um, provide ideas and then ultimately co-manage the uh, Nebraska tax-free vehicle partnerships at the time. And then a mutual fund that is now called the short duration. It wasn't at the time, but it was just this opportunity that began in 95, wonderful opportunity. And then in 19... 96 to be a co-manager on these fixed income portfolios. It grew uh, over the years to be sole manager. And then uh, about 11 years ago, I had uh, my teammate, the co-head of fixed income, Nolan Anderson, join me um, after some years working in the banking industry. uh, That uh, has been uh, probably the second best decision, not only to join Whites, but then to have this teammate join me uh, in my career. And it's just been it's just been wonderful that I'd close by saying that Wally has provided an environment for intellectual curiosity, which I think is key. And he also stresses temperament, that that is the key to being a successful investor is Warren, Warren uh, also reminds us that this, a stock or a bond doesn't know that you own it, doesn't care what the price was yesterday or what it is today. And so you got to kind of really ch- one, check your ego at the door, but then also, um, uh, check your emotions sometimes uh, at the door. So you you try to just um, um, invest uh, in, in the right sort of framework. Again, using that greedy and fearful sort of uh, to your advantage um, over the years. And, and, and the thing about the, the marketplace is it is a constantly changing environment. And so as uh, Charlie Munger says, and this is again, Wally encourages, we want to be learning machines and that's kind of the great gift of being an investor because every day it's something new. Mm. What do you use to further your knowledge? Say podcasts and anything else. <laughs> well, I listen to some of your podcasts, mm-hmm. yeah. so I, I'm going to have to listen to more. I mean, yeah, having too, yeah. been in uh, the fifth year, that's a lot of episodes. Yeah. Uh, and there's clearly, then that's another thing too. How do you enhance your your knowledge is to to be aware that there's really no such thing as an original idea. And so it's always good to uh, broaden the uh, people you listen to, maybe particularly ones who you disagree with, at least initially, and maybe your mind might be changed. So it's it's really about having an open mind, reading broadly uh, from lots of different sources and uh, trying as best you can to to be open minded, particularly about the positions you own that you might be wrong in. Mm. Yeah, that's what I like to say about uh, contrarian investing is it. It's not necessarily right. Sometimes it's just contrarian. And by the way, if you go back and listen to some of our guests, they've been very wrong, but as well as right. 
one does have to say, but, but just to have that point of view in mind, uh, if only to, to dismiss it, but dismiss it with like knowledge. Um, what kind of curious about sources, as far as, you know, reading anything where you've stumbled on a new idea and, and any example, maybe that you, that you found that you weren't expecting? Well, when it comes to, to fixed income investing, particularly uh, for us, new ideas come from attending conferences, mm-hmm. what we think of as boots on the ground. So to get out and sit in, it's, it's an, a, an advantage that can be harder to maybe obtain in like the equity market, the typical investment, even in some institutional investors may not be able to get a lot of face time with corporate uh, treasures, CFOs, even CEOs, but the ability in the private area, particularly in fixed income, like asset-backed securities, particularly to sit in front of people who built a business over decades that are still willing to chat with investors at conferences in lots of different locations is is a great advantage. But otherwise, it's just um, having your ears down, listening, um, certainly, obviously, reading. But um, it's, I think, Munger says it best is just trying to be a learning machine so that we, again, in the fixed income marketplace, we have the opportunity to kind of uh, see uh, new issues from a, a broad variety of companies. In fact, we're going to have a conference call this afternoon with a company we've not invested with before uh, in the equipment space, but that has been in business since the early 60s uh, and are doing their inaugural ABS deal. And for us to get some time in front of management uh, that they, they just recently were uh, bought by Bain, which is a very massive private equity firm that we very much admire that we get to it, it's it's instances like this. It's just kind of like shots on goal. It's a tapestry of information that you try to collect over time that how is this equipment lender? What's its competitive edge relative to another one that we already invest in that over time, it just, uh, it, it's a tree that we hope can, we keep adding ornaments to, and it's a pretty one at the end of it, at the end of the day. Hmm. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. Huh. All right. So what, what else, um, what are your, what are your concerns? I like to ask us of people, like what keeps you up at night in terms of your investments or in terms of, well, maybe not the world at large, because I think we all know what yeah, those are, but would, I guess uh, you need yeah. a couch to, for us yeah. to talk like that. But I'd say for us, it, it ultimately it's, where where can we be? Where would we be wrong? Mm-hmm. Again, it's fixed income investing has so little room for error that permanent loss of capital. It, it's one thing to get it an interest. You invest in a a five year bond and interest rates go up a hundred or two hundred basis points. But if the credit quality of the bond is good, you're going to get your money back because it's a contract. But if you make an investment and you're wrong, then uh, you have no way to necessarily recover. I mean, an equity investor can have mistakes because they can have the five bagger, the 10 bagger that can fill those holes. Isn't the case in fixed income. Again, getting back to why we try to really focus on not losing money. It's not that it's arguably inevitable if you're taking any credit risk, but that's what keeps me up at night. What And, and how do you mitigate that? I don't know. Try not to let it bother you too much, especially if you're doing the things before hmm. um, consistently. And that means checking your assumptions. And I mentioned like ABS, every month we can look to see how this particular sponsor's pool of assets are doing and and determine whether is it 
Is it getting, is our assumptions on target? Is it worse or is it better? Um, but we've seen things come out of uh, asteroids of sorts out of the blue too. So we have to, it's easy if you, if you're managing other people's money, hopefully you sleep okay, but you sleep a little bit uneasily because uh, you have quite a responsibility uh, that you're uh, managing someone mm. else's capital and you want to be sure you, you shepherd it, you care for it well. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to sleep at all, which is why I don't do it. But yeah, but yeah, so uh, respect to anybody who does. But on that, are you? there's no concern that the there could be a more disorderly unwind of the treasury market, of the fixed income markets. I know you said that, yeah, we're probably at the end of the hiking cycle, if not already past it. But what if it does continue? What if there is a, a big flight to, uh, you know, well, safety, not safety, but just like if, if liquidity dries up in, in the in the market. I mean, you know, one of the we had a bond auction yesterday, a treasury auction that went poorly, um, which led to some selling. Yeah, and no concerns about that. Oh, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, we should. Mm-hmm. Now this gets on to a, a, a bit more, um, maybe a bit personal, but I don't think so. I think that we as a nation have a problem. I mean, when you run massive budget and fiscal deficits in an expansionary period record numbers that and and the 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 need for the treasury to issue lots of debt in the coming years um and much of that deficit is supporting things that isn't necessarily constructive to the productive use of the economy long term sure i mean i worry i worry for my grandkids about what that the world might look like at that time. So um, I don't quite know how to manage that per se, but it is a, it is a problem. Uh, and, and that could be partly why maybe corporate credit spreads are as tight as they are, because maybe investors are from a contrarian perspective, I'd rather own um, you, you name it, single a solid, single a rated corporate bond that has their balance sheet in order versus the U S hmm. who has, taken the opportunity to, to, we gave out treasure, treasurer awards in the last few years, meaning that we applauded these treasurers across corporate America that issued debt with two, sometimes one handle 10 years and longer. Um, and now those bonds trade in the 70, 60 cents mm. on the dollar. The U S did too little of that. They should mm. have issued hundred year debt, like some of the, uh, their, their European counterparts. And we didn't. So that's that's a concern because there's a there's a maturity wall that that certainly impacts corporations and that could be the next thing to worry about too that some of these companies that need to refinance in today's interest rate environment I expect defaults to rise uh-huh. and recoveries to decline. Um, that isn't the same sort of problem with the U.S., but nevertheless, uh, there is a quite a maturity wall that is, faces it very starkly. And there could be an aha moment that that's that's one for your country. I'll have to listen for uh-huh. that call where truly at some point the the world sees that the gig is up for the U.S. And our standard of living collapses maybe seemingly overnight because of the, the decline in the dollar and the people's lack of confidence in it. Mm. Yeah, but that doesn't seem even remote. It seems imminent, yeah. but yeah. I would say that's a, that's that's the doomsday scenario. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually, we had a guy on uh, just yesterday who talks about that, but uh, from a little bit of a different perspective. 
but yeah um yeah you can go back in the yeah listen to that when that's out very good okay well that's uh kind of a discouraging way to end maybe on a on a more positive <laughs> note, on a more positive note i mean can the fed just cut rates at some point and and yeah. i mean they're the, they're the biggest buyer of treasuries yes right? bigger than any foreign government or anybody else so if they just decide to do qe again then we're good right there's there are they definitely have the ability uh to do of uh, they have they haven't fired all the arrows in their quiver and and mm. they can always make more and put them in in one of them is i mean there's ways to minimize even the interest rate effects in the for the the, the treasury broadly whether it's in not paying interest on excess reserves they, they could do i mean there's they have options and certainly one of them is lowering interest rates if we begin to see some stress in the economy and so yeah that we've been in the higher for longer camp for a while uh, a lot of people might have viewed this rate hike as kind of like the Matterhorn like we were going to go up really fast and then come down dramatically uh, but it it's kind of, we 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 refer to it Ayers Rock which is a pretty large uh, flat you just look at um Australia, there's massive plateaus. They just you go up and then it's for forever kind of seemingly flat. Um, so, but I think if they were to just stay here, the economy should do reasonably okay uh, hmm. at these higher rates. Uh, hmm. Just as long as we don't double them from here, or go up 50% more. Yeah. That uh, you, you look around maybe in your own neighborhood and anyone listening it's very interesting to see how, you know, granted the supply of housing is low in most mm -hmm. places, but houses go on the market and people are getting used to six and seven handle mortgages. And it's happened despite housing prices not coming down much. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, it's those, those buyers, household formation continues and happily that's a good thing for the economy and the country. Um, but people are just uh, managing through what, what the payment might be today if, if that's how they're buying their homes. So uh, people are continuing to buy cars, go to restaurants, uh, buy homes. Um, as long as the job market continues to be pretty strong, that's certainly a a, a, a thing to be watching for is mm. any weakness in, in, in employment, which has yeah. been surprisingly strong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we haven't seen much weakness there. It is true. No. All right, Tom Carney of White's Investments, thanks so much for joining the Contrarian Investor Podcast today. Maybe in closing, tell our listeners how they can find out more about you, potentially more about the firm, and I'll put that in the show notes as well. Thank you, Nathaniel. Yeah, you're most welcome to come to our website, which is www.whitesinvestments.com -E uh, and give you information on how to contact us by phone, or you can learn more about the firm right there. Simple enough, whitesinvestments.com. Awesome. Tom, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thanks you all for listening. And we'll be back here again next week. Speak then. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To subscribe to this podcast, simply open your favorite podcast software and search for Contrarian Investor. Follow us on social media by searching for Contrarian Investor on Twitter and Instagram. Send us your thoughts on feedback at contrarianpod.com. We look forward to speaking to you again next time. Traffic jams. 
tailgating pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.